Well, you can keep open these final verses of Revelation this evening, verses 6 to 21, uh, the conclusion of the book, and as, a, as we have it, the conclusion of the Scriptures. And we're thinking this evening about those words of Jesus repeated three times uh, in this epilogue, I am coming soon. Almost all of us live with some sense of looking forward to something in the future. Uh, If we don't have anything to look forward to, we, as human beings, we struggle to have any sense of purpose, any motivation in our day-to-day lives. And I'm not just talking about looking forward to the big stuff like uh, a birthday or a holiday. I'm talking about our our day-to-day, sometimes very ordinary, mundane tasks. Uh, If you think about them, uh, we do them all with, with the future in mind. We parent our little children because we believe that in the future... As a result of our efforts, they'll, they'll have learned enough to go out into the world and look after themselves. We work, hard, we work hard at our jobs each day because we believe that in the future, be it at the end of the week or the end of the month, our salary will arrive in our bank accounts. And if we don't do our work, the salary is not going to arrive in our bank accounts. And when politicians run for office, they often run on the promise that they will lead us to a better future. Vote for us today so that we can have a better health service tomorrow or better economy uh, or whatever it may be. So we live with some belief in future improvement. It seems to be inevitable uh, that human beings in general will live like that. The only question is what kind of future should we really pin all our hopes on? What is the best thing to look forward to? What is the best motivator Uh, For our day to day lives. Because at the end of the day. That politician that promises to do so much for you. Is actually often very limited. In what he can do for you. Uh, You think of when Boris Johnson became Prime Minister. And all the things that he hoped to do. And promised it. Whatever you might think of Boris Johnson. uh, Whatever his plans were. A few months into his tenure. The pandemic hit. Something completely uh, beyond his control. That changed the plans of the whole country. And even if it's not a pandemic, oftentimes whatever it is that the politicians wanted to do, they often find themselves very constrained from doing. The work gets done and the salary comes in, but we have to get back at it next week if the next salary is to come in. Some of the situations that we hope will improve in the future might not improve that much at all. Is there any future hope we should have that won't disappoint us? Well, of course, the book of Revelation has been telling us that there is. And three times in the conclusion of this book, the conclusion of the whole Bible, that future hope is repeated again. Look at verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon. And he says the same words again, verses 12 and 20. I am coming soon. The words are a warning, they're a motivation, and they're an encouragement. Our passage today, as I say, it's the epilogue to the book. Uh, The vision has finished at this point. And yet, even though this is really just the conclusion, there's a lot packed into it. At first glance, verses 6 to 21, they they maybe seem as though it's, it's really just one statement after another. And some of the commentators suggest that, that there's not really any clear structure Uh, to the the last section here. But I think 
The main point of it is clear by these words that are repeated three times. I am coming soon. And so everything else in the conclusion really hangs off that thrice repeated statement of Jesus. And so we want to think about three implications, if you like, of this statement of Jesus tonight. Uh, Three things that are true, three things that we should take to heart considering that Jesus is coming soon. And so first of all this evening, Jesus is coming so we should believe his word. Jesus is coming, we should believe his word. Uh, This epilogue to Revelation sounds a lot like the introduction to Revelation. And so I just about remembered uh, to read it earlier and I'm glad that we did. Uh, And maybe you saw some of the similarities between the two as we read them. One of the things they have in common is that they both emphasise the fact that this book is part of the word of God. It's to be treated with the same authority as any other part of the scriptures that we would turn to. Chapter 1 verse 2 for example says that John bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. So John says that what he's saying here. It's just as much a part of God's word as the letters of Paul that were already circulating at this time or the Gospels when they came along or the Old Testament law and prophets. This is the word of God. And and that is emphasized again to us at the close of the book. If you look at here at verse 6. These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants What must soon take place. Notice that description of God. The Lord. The God of the spirits of the prophets. And so again John is saying. The same God who called Abraham. To go to Canaan. The same God who sent Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. The same God who spoke through the prophets. The same God who sent his son. That same God has spoken to John and provided the conclusion uh, to his word. And again then notice verse 7. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's a prophecy. It's, It's been given by God. And then notice also verse 10. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near. Very, very interesting verse there, verse 10. uh, Particularly in light of what we find in the Old Testament. Um, As as I've tried to emphasize all through our time in Revelation. uh, You'll understand it better and better the more you know and understand your Old Testament. And the book of Daniel is one book that is very much in the background when you read the book of Revelation. There, There are two very similar types of books. Uh, Daniel is also a book full of symbols and visions. Uh, And towards the close of Daniel, in Daniel 12 verse 4, Daniel receives the opposite command to what we have here in Revelation. Listen to Daniel 12 and verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So Daniel is told that it's not really the time yet for his prophecy to be widely distributed and and for it to be widely understood Daniel is told seal your book up until the time of the end whereas look at the opposite command here 
In Revelation 22 verse 10. Do not seal up the book for the time is near. So Daniel's told that his book won't be more widely known and understood until the time of the end. John is told we're now in the time of the end. Question preachers are always asked is, are we in the last days? And every so often, particularly when uh, we have headlines like we have at the moment concerning the Middle East, people will ask this question more frequently. Well, do you think, are we in the last days? And the answer is always yes. And we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. And the last days started when Jesus Christ ascended into heaven having sent his disciples out with this unsealed, open word, the gospel. And ever since then, friends, the time is near. We're in the time of the end. And in this time, God says here to John, the book is to be unsealed. The book is to be opened. And some will say, well, what does that mean? You know, the time is near. And yet, 2,000 years later, the time is still near. Well, you know, what, what does that mean? doesn't seem as if it's any nearer to us. Well, what it means, friends, is that the second coming of Jesus is the only thing left to happen in God's plan for redemptive history. It's the only thing left to happen. You remember how way back earlier in the book, John's vision was of, of Jesus, the Lamb, opening the seals on the scroll in heaven. And we thought about how that scroll symbolizes the plan of God for all eternity. And Jesus is the one who is worthy to put that plan into motion. And that plan involved the the creation of the heavens and the earth. And that plan involved the creation of man and woman in the image of God. And it involved the the calling of Abraham. And it involved uh, the, 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 the special people of Israel. And it involved the first coming of the Lord Jesus. And his death and resurrection. And his sending out the church with the gospel. And the only thing left is the return of Jesus. And so in that sense, friends, there is, there's nothing else to happen. The time is near because everything else has already passed. We're in the last days. And as well as that, we understand these words in light of what Peter says. In 2 Peter 3 verse 8, with the Lord a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand years. God operates outside of time and space. What seems a long time to us is perhaps not such a long time from the perspective of God. Same way perhaps parents in the next few weeks will be having to answer that same question again. Is it nearly the holidays? Is it nearly Christmas? And it feels like such a long way away to little children The parents are thinking it'll be here before we know it. And so Jesus says he is coming soon because it's the only thing left to happen. Do not seal up the words of this book. Make it known. Get the message out. I'm coming soon, Jesus says, so we should believe his word. Do you believe the word of Jesus Christ? Do you believe the message of this unsealed book in front of us this evening? By extension, the words of Revelation invite us to consider, do we believe the rest of Scripture? Do we believe that Genesis and Exodus, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the Gospels, the Psalms, 
and all those other books that they are the living, infallible, complete word of God. Whether or not you are a Christian really comes down to what you believe about the Bible. Revelation recognises that. That's why it begins and ends by urging us to believe it. Verse 6 again. These words are trustworthy and true. And you might say, well, I, I struggle with that. How can you put your faith in this old, old book? Aren't there lots of claims that people make about it and uh, about how we have it today? And aren't there so many translations? And uh, how do we know we can believe it? Well, there's, there's more to say to that than I can get into this evening. Uh, but nonetheless, friends, uh, not, no, nothing, no other sacred text, no other claims to truth have withstood the kind of interrogation and scrutiny of the Bible. The Book of Mormon or uh, the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses text, which is just a, a hatchet job in terms of what they've done with the scriptures, can be compared for its historicity, its authenticity. No other book can be compared with the trustworthiness of scripture. No document has been so tested, investigated, scrutinized for error, widely circulated and distributed over thousands of years like the Bible has. Time magazine, which for many many of you will have grown up seeing Time magazine and uh, and Time magazine used to carry a lot more clout than it does now. And whoever was on the front cover of Time magazine, that used, used to count for a lot. It doesn't really have the, the cachet it once had. But several years ago, Time magazine said this about the Bible. Completely secular magazine. It said after two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived and is perhaps better for the siege. Of course, in one sense, it wouldn't really bother us if a secular magazine had come to any other conclusion about the scriptures. We still know them to be the word of God. But it still says something that a magazine like that had to recognize that in the face of all the historical and archaeological discoveries of the past few hundred years, the Bible still cannot be found wanting. More important, of course, than the verdict of some secular magazine in the Bible is what you do with it. Do you believe it? Do you live by it? Do you leave it, in a sense, sealed, unopened, cast to one side, or do you unseal it every day, every week, and have its truth shape and change and guide your life? All scripture, Paul says, is breathed out by God, 2 Timothy 3, 16. 2 Peter 1, 21, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And again, people might say, well, that's the Bible claiming itself to be the Bible, to be God's word. At the end of the day, friends, all of us have a highest standard, a final authority that we appeal to in our lives. And as we said at the beginning, we all live our lives with some hope of future improvement in mind. Believing to some degree that what we believe now will matter in eternity. What could matter more than what you do with the word of God? Jesus is coming soon. His word is unsealed today for you to hear and believe. 
Secondly, Jesus is coming, so heed his warnings. Jesus is coming, so heed his warnings. This epilogue is full of warnings. Look at verse 12, for example. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. The word recompense there uh, really means wages, similar to what we would say like pay packet or salary. Uh, And what he's saying there is that no one is really getting away with anything, friends. Uh, I've raised this point with you several times as we've gone through Revelation. We live in a world that often justice is not done. Jesus says justice will be done in the end. He is the just judge. He is, as he says in verse 13, the Alpha and the Omega. He's coming. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. Uh, And that's what really verse 11 is getting at, by the way. Might sound a bit of a strange verse, let the evildoers still do evil and the righteous still do righteous and so on. What it's saying really is that there will come a moment where it's too late for those two types of people to change. There will come a moment of final judgment. Look also at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city gates. If you've repented of sin, if you're Living a li- that means that you're living a life of washing. The Spirit is sanctifying you by the Word. You're persevering in faith. That's what it means to wash your robes. And if that's the case for you, heaven is your reward. Verse 14. But then comes the, the, the warning. Verse 15. Outside. And that means outside the city. The new Jerusalem that we've been thinking about in recent weeks which essentially is the new earth. The the new Jerusalem is going to cover the earth. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We've seen similar lists like that of the impure, the the sinful, the the unrepentant in Revelation. Uh, It's interesting that the list ends with an emphasis on liars. It says, those who love and practice falsehood. There's been a theme all the way through Revelation of warnings for those who profess to be believers. Who were perhaps even part of the visible church. But who will be found in the end to have not been Christ's people at all. And we saw this right back when we looked at Jesus' seven letters to the seven churches. This was emphasized in chapters 2 and 3. That one of the biggest challenges the churches faced was that of false teaching. Uh, People coming in amongst them who claimed to follow Jesus, uh, yet were compromising in one way or another with the world. And this often took the form of compromise in the area of sexual ethics. Look at the final warning, verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book... If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That is covenantal language, friends. It's very similar to statements that you find in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, Deuteronomy was... The second giving of the law, Moses preached that book. Uh, Moses preached what is now that book to the Israelites before they entered into the promised land. And again, it was emphasized to them, 
Here's the blessings if you obey. Here's the curses if you disobey. Believe God and receive life and blessing. Disbelieve, disobey God and you're headed for cursing. And so Revelation, friends, shows that God's covenant is still in effect. The covenant of grace through Jesus Christ. Jesus warns us to believe, persevere and be blessed rather than to compromise and be cursed. And this is the warning that goes out this evening. And particularly a warning to those who would find themselves in the visible church. I've said it before, there are all kinds of things we could do. Or that I could preach to become a more popular church. We could hang up a, rain- a rainbow flag. Could start offering very detailed and interesting and dramatic analyses of the war between Israel and Hamas and what that might mean or not mean. Could start claiming things about angels and relics and bring in all kinds of drama and mystery to our worship. Our church would be three, four, ten times bigger. But we would be adding to or taking away from the true word of God if we were to do those things. We cannot simply tell our young people, for example, to just go ahead with whatever the world would claim is fine to do in regard to sexual identity. The world is saying, follow your feelings, follow your heart over those things. The Bible would say, don't follow your heart over those things. Your heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can know it? Follow God's words and receive life in that regard. We're not going to psychologize away the doctrine of hell. Some people talk today about going through hell as in they had an illness or they were in a horrible accident or they visited a war zone. And those are awful and shocking and horrible experiences. But hell is a real place where real people will be if they do not repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To disregard God's word in ignorance is one thing, although it's still a sin. But it's another thing altogether, friends, for those who should know better. Who have had God's unsealed words in their hands. Or who have been ordained to positions of leadership in the church. To add to or to take away from the word of God. That is happening in Northern Ireland. It's happening all over the world. Notice the language of verse 19. If anyone takes away from the words of the, pro- of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Again, that is covenantal language. Notice that language of taking away his share. The Israelites looked forward to entering into the promised land. Every family and every tribe was to have their share. And their share was not to be taken away from their family down through the generations. But it would be taken away if you fell into sin. To lose your share would have been the worst fate, if I can use that word, imaginable for the Israelites. Because it would prove that in the end, you never truly belonged to God's covenant people. No matter what your last name was or how many generations your family had been part of Israel. Because of your sin, you would be cut off. You would lose your share. And again, the warning here is for those already in the visible church. Persevere, do not give up, 
Do not be tempted to settle for false gospels. Because what might have seemed someone who was destined for a share in glory. Turns out they weren't destined to have that share at all if they fall into unrepentant sin. Jesus Christ is coming soon. He will reward those who were faithful to his word. He will bring cursing on those who ignored it or worse, knowingly tampered with it. Those who stood up in pulpits or wherever else and said with the hiss of the serpent in their voice, here's what God really means when he says this or that about your sexuality or this or that about worship or the church or whatever else it may be. True Christian faith is persevering faith. I was saying to the children yesterday to have faith is to believe something even when it might feel like it's not true because so many other people don't believe it or because you can't yet see the results of it. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Are you keeping God's word? Are you persevering in faith? Or are you ignoring it, adding to it, tampering with it? Nothing less than your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Jesus is coming soon. Heed his warnings. So Jesus is coming soon. We should believe his word. Jesus is coming soon. We should heed his warnings. And thirdly and finally, Jesus is coming soon. So we should receive his grace. He is coming soon. So we should receive his grace. I've mentioned already the word blessed or blessing uh, that appears in this uh, epilogue. Uh, strung out throughout the book of Revelation. You find the word blessed seven times. Uh, that, that number that we keep coming back to in the book of Revelation. There are seven promises of blessing in the book. Two of them are in the first three verses of the book. Back in chapter one. And two more are here in the epilogue. If you look again at verse seven. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Uh, That's the sixth blessing. And then the seventh and final one is in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city, uh, enter by the city gates. Blessed. Who doesn't want to be blessed? If you went down the street tomorrow morning and asked people, do you want to be blessed? Well, a lot of them probably don't really think, don't really know what that means. But once you would explain to them to be blessed is to be full of joy, it's to be full of purpose, it's to be perfectly happy. I don't think you would have anyone saying, I don't want to be blessed. Jesus says here, if you hear and believe and obey my words, you will be truly blessed. And he also finishes with an offer of grace. Grace. Grace, boys and girls, and everyone else as well. It's one of the most important words in the whole Bible. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. That's grace. That's what we have from God and Jesus Christ. We are sinners by nature and choice. We do not deserve life eternal with a good and holy God. But he's shown us grace. 
And here at the close of Revelation, Jesus holds out both saving grace and sustaining grace to us. Let's think about saving grace first of all. Look at verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride, that's the church, say, come. It's a bit of debate in the commentators. Are they saying, come, as in, come Lord Jesus? Or are they saying, on behalf of Jesus to unbelievers, come? Um, uh, You can study that further for yourself. Uh, Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Notice that language there, take the water of life without price. Jesus says to you today, if your soul is thirsty, as he said to the woman at the well back in John chapter 4, I can offer you living water. I can offer you the bright, pure, refreshing water of heaven. There's no price. This is saving grace. This is life without price. This is life provided for you by the blood of the Lamb. Come. Come whoever you are. Come whatever you've done. Come no matter what you have to leave behind. Come and receive life without end. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, says that the fact that this invitation comes right at the end of our Bible shows that this ultimately is the aim and objective of the whole Bible. He says, quote, It is like the point of the arrow, and all the rest of the Bible is like the shaft and the feathers either side of it. We may say of the Scriptures what John said of his Gospel, These are written, all these books that are gathered together into one library called the Bible, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life, In his name. Jesus invites you dear friend. Before he comes back. Before he comes he says come to me. Receive saving grace. Receive living water. On the cross before he died. John tells us in his gospel. That Jesus cried out. I thirst. And in response those standing by. Gave him sour wine like vinegar on a dirty sponge to drink and in many ways that sour wine summed up all that Jesus had gone through on the cross to that moment that he had drank down that cup of God's wrath he had paid the price with his own blood to taste that bitterness that sour taste of God's wrath falling upon him so that you and I could taste sweet Refreshing, pure, life-giving water. Jesus offers you saving grace. You don't have to go on some perilous journey, undertake some demanding pilgrimage, achieve some higher spiritual consciousness. You just come trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and receive life from him. He offers saving grace He also offers sustaining grace. Again, I've tried to keep this focus in your mind as we've gone all the way through this book with all its at times weird and wonderful pictures and visions. I've tried to remind you over and over again this is a book designed to encourage the church. It's not a book full of puzzles for the super smart to figure out. 
It's a book designed for every Christian, every man, woman and child to know, to reassure us that Jesus Christ, the Lamb, is on the throne. And he's coming soon. And he offers you sustaining grace, persevering grace, until we finally see him. Look at verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For who? For the churches. The ordinary, scattered, seemingly feeble little churches of Ephesus and Smyrna and Laodicea and Dremor and wherever else. Jesus has given us this book, friends, to encourage us and to sustain us. Look what he says as well in verse 16. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The New Testament begins and ends the same way. This is the son of David. This is the one who will come with a kingdom to put all the other kingdoms in the shade. He is the bright morning star. This is why we're to be expectant each and every day, friends. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom that will never end. And he will sustain us until that day. He says for the final time in verse 20. Surely I am coming soon. And the response. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. And then he promises for the final time in verse 21. Through his servant John. The grace of the Lord Jesus. Be with all. That's the sustaining grace. Of Jesus. Notice twice in the last two verses we see the word Amen. Amen simply means yes, I agree, I'm on board with this. Are you on board with the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you ready for his return? The story is told of John Wesley, the great Methodist evangelist. He was asked what he would do if he knew that Christ was returning on such and such a date. He responded by taking out his diary, turned to that date, and read out his scheduled engagements for that day. And he said, that's what I would do. If you're ready, you can get on with whatever it is that Christ has called you to do. What has he called us to do? He's called us with this unsealed book in our hands, friends, to proclaim his good news To worship his good and glorious name. To do whatever else he's called us to do. Working, parenting, serving, praying, giving, going. To his honour and glory. And he will sustain us every day. That we have to do those things until he comes. Jesus says today, let the one who is thirsty come. Have you come to him? Will you come to him? Jesus, the Messiah King, has come once already. He is coming even now in the judgments that we see in our world that Revelation has shown to us. But he is coming at the end. He will appear to judge the living and the dead. Today is the day of grace. Today the book is unsealed. May it be true of each of us here this evening as it was of the saint long ago who wrote the words. Grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Amen.